verses 8 to 13. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you have at last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're thankful at times like this that uh, we have somewhere to turn and we can come before your throne as the sovereign God and as as our heavenly Father who knows us and loves us to bring before you the Sharp family and the Webley family this morning. Um, I was going to give a, a kind of big explanation, but Neil's here. He's smiling at me at the back of the... Uh, Neil, Neil um, started feeling pretty crook kind of Wednesday night and by Thursday sent me an email saying he was really not feeling well and wasn't sure whether he was... He had to preach the sermon at the preaching group on Friday morning and then church on Sunday. And he said, I'm not sure I'm going to be all right for the two of them. Then by Thursday afternoon I got another email saying, actually, Jay, I'm in hospital They've sent me to hospital and um, I don't think I'll make Friday, but I still could be all right for Sunday. uh, um, But it just wasn't good. So Neil ended up being in hospital for a couple of days. Are you feeling better, Neil? I've got a thumbs up. Uh, He had a a swelling, I think, which they're still not sure exactly what it was, um, but it caused difficulty with breathing and everything. So Neil, we're pleased to have you back and uh, I'm sure Neil will preach that sermon at another time. But we had to make a last minute change uh, and to do a kind of one-off because the plan is that next week we start a new series in the book of Acts. We're going to start going through the book of Acts. So we needed a one-off and um, this morning I decided we'd look at a topic which we, we actually looked at about four years ago, but it's one of those issues in the Christian life that I think can continues to be a battle for many of us and it's one of those battles that you don't just win and then it's gone, you you kind of fight it and then it comes back and you fight it again and it comes back and back and back and the issue is, and I hope you picked up on it from the reading, the issue is contentment, contentment. We know automatically as Christians that knowing Jesus, living for Jesus should mean that we as Christians have a contentment that many people in this world don't because we know that there's meaning to life. We know that there's purpose. We have a confidence and assurance that you can't have if you're anyone else or or, or living for anything else in this world. But we don't always feel like that as Christians. We don't always have that contentment, do we? Lisa is single and she'd love to have someone to share her life with. She looks with sadness at friends and family members who are married and she wonders if she will ever find someone. George is married, but he wishes he wasn't. He can't believe how distant he and his wife have become. They basically live separate lives and it's gone on for so long now, he doesn't think it will ever change. John and Jackie can't have children and they're reminded of that fact in many ways uh, every day, every week going on. 
Dan and Lucy do have children, they've grown up now, but they seem to be nowhere in life. They're not following the Lord, they make bad decision after bad decision and they wonder whether it will ever change for their children. Kevin's just had a diagnosis that means everything has changed and his future is uncertain. And he finds it hard being around others who don't know what to say to him or say the wrong things or ignore the whole situation altogether when they're with him. Sally hates her looks and her body. She has days when she feels okay, but many more when compared to others, she feels ugly and she hates herself. Bob and June are still working through their insurance payout. It looks like they're going to get $25,000 less than they expected as a result of their policy and yet all their friends seem to have brand new homes since the earthquake and are in great areas and actually appear to have come better off than they are. We could go on and on, couldn't we? Discontent comes in all shapes and sizes and problems for Christians as well as non-Christians. And the problem, the extra problem that it has for Christians is that it nearly always leads to a, a resentment and a bitterness towards God and then a resentment and a bitterness towards others. And yet the Lord Jesus has told us the most important things in our life is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength and to love others as ourselves. And so when that discontent comes and it leads to resentment and bitterness towards God and towards others, it's affecting the very foundations of how we're to live. It's very common this area and very destructive. And yet as we heard in Philippians, Paul seems to be different. Megan, can we have verse 11 in the reading up there? Paul says, the Apostle, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. How about that? Paul lived in contentment no matter what his circumstances, and he speaks of knowing the secret of it. Well, what is the secret? How do we do it? How do we put it into effect in our lives? How do we live with contentment? That's the subject that we're thinking of this morning. And it's a big one and I can't deal with all of it. I just want to bring a couple of things to mind, which I hope will be helpful for you and I as we wrestle with this issue in this fallen world. I'd like to do it under two headings. uh, And the two headings are the danger of desire and the comfort of contentment. The danger of desire and the comfort of contentment. So firstly, the danger of desire. Being discontented is as old as the human race is. You see it right back at the beginning of the Bible. Back in Genesis 3, you've got Adam and Eve, and Eve, the first woman, is tempted, do you remember, to eat the forbidden fruit, the fruit that God said, you may eat of all the trees in the garden, but don't eat of that one. And why does she eat of it? Well, part of it is desire. Verse 6, this is what it says in Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And what Eve does there is what every single man and woman has continued to do down through the ages. It's the lust of the eyes. It's we see what we want and feel what we do not have and we do want and we do desire. And and not everything is wrong to desire. There are some things which are incredibly good to desire. But this kind of thing can cause us huge problems. And the Western world today is predicated on this kind of inbuilt humanity lust of the eyes. 
The Western world that you and I live on is predicated on capitalism and consumerism, which is driven in part by making you feel discontent. Unless you look like this, you'll never be happy. Unless you own this, you'll never be satisfied. Unless you have one of these, life will never be good. Unless you've updated to this, what are you and who are you? The constant adverts that we're bombarded by online, on screens, on billboards, on bus stops are designed to tell you that you need this. Your life is incomplete without that. And we see these things and they're pleasing to the eye and we desire them and it causes problems. But desire and discontent comes not just as we look at things around us, it comes as we look at people around us. Uh, about four years ago when I first preached on this, I just read a book by Sophie DeWitt called Compared to Her. And she's writing as a woman from a woman's perspective, but I could certainly relate to it, and I, I, you may as well. In it, she confessed that she suffers from a disease, which I'd never heard of before, which she calls CCS. I'd never heard of it. If you haven't, don't worry. Uh, but what it is, CCS is Compulsory Comparison Syndrome. Compulsory Comparison Syndrome. So basically what she admitted was she spends most of her life comparing herself to those people around her. And she said that she would walk into a room and straight away she'd compare herself to everyone else that was in that room just in terms of what she saw, in terms of image. She would know immediately if she was younger or older, if she was slimmer or larger, if she had better hair or worse hair, a more plain face or a more beautiful face. But she said that's just when she walks into a room with people that she doesn't know. She talked about but with people that she did know, she'd compare herself in terms of possessions, house, car, clothes. She'd compare herself in terms of achievements in life, uh, job, uh, thing, uh, kind of education achievements. She'd uh, compare herself in terms of relationships, whether she was married or single or they were or their children or in a whole host of areas. And she talked about it being so destructive. Because when you live like that, and so many of us do if we're honest, when you compare yourself with others, you either win that comparison or you lose it. I guess you can draw. If you've got a twin or something like that, I guess you can draw. But even if you draw, <clears throat> what do you do? You go on to the next category and you either win or you lose. So you're going to win or lose somewhere. You're going to get a victory or a loss. So you compare yourself to others. Well, I look better than her. Oh, my children don't behave anywhere near as good as his. Oh, well, I give a lot more than that person. So you either win or you lose the comparison. But Sophie DeWitt went on to say that neither result is good from a godliness perspective. If you lose the comparison, what happens? You feel inadequate. You feel, depending on what it is, the level kind of changes, but you feel inadequate, you feel despair, you feel envy, you feel self-pity, you feel guilt, you feel bitterness, you feel insecurity. Well, let's hope we win. What happens if you win, though? If you win, you feel slightly better, a little bit smug, a little bit arrogant, a little bit superior, a little bit entitled. It, it's what happens when you do these comparisons, whether we win or we lose, the result of both is unhelpful. And as DeWitt points out, not only does that kind of behaviour ruin our contentment uh, in terms of ourselves, it also helps ruin our relationships with other people. Because if we're dealing with people we've lost the comparison to, we're liable to resent them for it. And we like bringing them down a peg or two. Might make the odd comment about them in front of others. Not hammering them, just pointing out some of the weaknesses or the difficulties. 
Or if we're dealing with people we've won the comparison to, we're likely to speak to them or act towards them in a, in a, a kind of pitying way or a patronising way. Our, do you see it, 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 it? Not just our contentment, but how we relate to others. So we live in a world where discontent is rife. We're surrounded by things we don't have and we want. We've got circumstances that we don't like and other people don't seem to have it and we, we want that. People we feel are better than us and we could go on and on and on. And what we normally try and do to fix things is always the wrong way. We buy what we desire thinking that'll make us content and then we realise it doesn't. We try to change the aspect of ourselves which we think is the problem but then we see all these other ones. We, we, we try and sort it out the wrong way but the problem is the danger of desire. That's the danger of desire. But the good news this morning is the second point, the comfort of contentment. The comfort of contentment. Paul is adamant here that contentment is possible. See again in those verses, chapter 4, verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty. And it's hard to be content in both those things, isn't it? Hard to be content when you're in need, hard to be content when you're in plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then, and the reading was quite good, I didn't do this deliberately, it stops, but there's another verse that comes after it. Does anyone remember what it is before, before we turn over? Don't worry. That's gone. He then goes on to say one of the best well-known, well-quoted uh, Christian verses of the day, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 is, the, I think, the Christian sports tattoo or motto of the, of the day. You find it all the time on athletes tattooed on them somewhere on their shirts. I think I told you before, I once saw a sevens tournament where the Fijians had Phil 4.13 on it and the, um, the commentator said that that comes from the book of Philistines, chapter 4, <laughs> verse 13. Uh, but, it, but most people only look at it as one verse and forget where it's come from. The context is absolutely essential with this verse. Paul, this is the secret of Paul's contentment. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What he says is he doesn't look at himself and his circumstances for contentment. He looks at Christ and what he has in Christ. He looks uh, to Jesus in all circumstances of life. Whether they're good circumstances or bad circumstances, he looks at Christ and remembers what he has. Whether he's hungry or well-fed, he looks at Christ and remembers what he has. Whether he's living in plenty or living in want, he looks at Christ and knows what he's got. Our solutions to discontent, do you see, as I said before, revolve around focusing on the things or ourselves, and they change. Paul focuses on Christ that doesn't change. Paul focuses on Jesus and the blessings that come through him which don't change, no matter what else in life is all over the place. It's a great uh, thing to realise. So when you're going through difficult times or the discontent happens, remember what God has promised you and given you. Don't just think of the circumstances you're going through now. Remember what Christ has given you eternally. Let me read. I thought today would be a good day to remind ourselves of some of the wonderful promises that are made to everyone who is Christ's. And uh, I want to remind you of some of them this morning. They'll come on the, uh, the screen behind me. Here are promises which are for you and for me because we're in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There's perspective. 
What you and I are going through, and some of us at the moment are going through awful things here, and I'm not trying to minimise that in the slightest, but here's God's perspective. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Hold on to that. Next one, Hebrews 13 verse 5. It's actually quoting the Old Testament, but uh, Hebrews 13 5 tells us it for us too. God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. For those of us who think we'll never have someone else in our life, we'll never have a a close relationship, never will the Lord leave us, never will he forsake us. Lamentations 3. The Lord's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. That's an incredible truth that's there. Psalm 23, the words which are so familiar and yet we forget them so quickly and easily what they really mean. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I will fear no evil for you are with me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 103, for those of us laid down by guilt, as far as the east is from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions from us. All Christians are burdened by guilt at different times. Remind yourself of that truth. Remind yourself of that truth. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And there in Jeremiah, God's speaking to Israel, but it's a truth that's there for every follower of the Lord. Matthew 11, 28, 29. For those that are feeling weary and burdened, come to me all who are weary, says Jesus, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Do you want rest for your soul? You'll find it in Jesus. You won't find it anywhere else, but remind yourself of it. And Romans 8, 37-39, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are quotes of what are yours and mine now and in the future from God. Blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ and they are unchanging truths. Contentment comes not from us getting everything we want now, but our spirit being satisfied in him and what he's won for us now and eternally. It comes not from positive thinking, but from for thankfulness, for knowing what, what blessing is ours in Jesus. Notice that contentment. Notice it too, the contentment too, and be encouraged by this. It's not natural. See what Paul said back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, twice, I have learned to be content. He learned it. It didn't come naturally to him. wasn't just he had a more positive outlook on life. He had to learn it. I think that's really important. So I want to finish this morning just by giving three uh, uh, three lessons to bear in mind about how to learn contentment. Here's a couple of suggestions. Three. One, practice patience. I don't know about you, I think patience has gone way out of fashion today. I'm seeing a few nods, so apparently I'm not the only one. 
It used to be seen as one of the key virtues of life, patience. used to be seen as one of the key virtues that we wanted to bring up the next generation in and practice ourselves, but we live now in the age of the instant and the now. We lack patience. One of the parenting issues, big parenting issues of today, I think, is trying to breed in your children patience in a world where they expect the instant. How many patient children are there? Well, apparently not many. But it's not just our children. It's us, isn't it? Uh, I don't think I'm much more different from everyone. I'm so impatient in every area of life. I think driving is probably the one where um, it's pointed out to me most often by my family. I've actually had, even in the last few days, I've had it reminded to me, Jay, what do you think people from church would think if they saw you right now? And I've been behind the wheel every time that statement's been made. Such impatience and kind of, but it's not just that, it's in every area of life. And it's, we can kind of laugh at it when it's behind the wheel and you're getting annoyed at someone or at a traffic light or something, but it actually breeds discontent. It actually causes problems for the, for the future. Patience as a Christian is enormously important. It demonstrates a trust in God and in his timing. It, trust, it demonstrates a trust that God knows what he's doing and he's working towards his plans and purposes. And so work on your patience. Pray about it. Work on it in different ways. I promise I will too. I promise. So practice patience. Secondly, think thankfulness. Think thankfulness. I've quoted this before, but it's always worth quoting again. It comes from the, the rapper T.I., if you know T.I. It comes from his uh, immortal song, Live Your Life. And in it, he says a great line. He raps a great line, which is this. Stop looking at what you ain't got and start being thankful for what you do got. I'm going to say it again because these are words to live by. <laughs> Stop looking at what you ain't got and start being thankful for what you do got may not pass an English grammar test, but it's profoundly true. It's Philippians. <laughs> it's, he's quoting Philippians. Philippians 4.6 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests with God. Ever thought about that before when you pray? Paul says every time you ask something of the Lord, make sure you do it with thanksgiving. That helps discontentment because at the very point that you're saying Lord I need some help here or Lord the situation's awful you're also giving thanks for all that he's done for you that changes your attitude I remember a prayer meeting we used to have uh, once a year at uh, the Bible college where I went to and for one section of the prayer meeting which was an hour and a half we were told all we were allowed to pray was thanks we weren't allowed to move on to any asking for anything no one could keep it because you started off with thanks, thanks Lord for my family and thanks for um, just this college and what we've been learning and uh, by the way help me with the exams that are coming up and straight away into it. The th- you've got to work on thanks, think thankfulness. It changes our perspective. If we seriously pause and reflect on what we do got, that will change everything that we haven't. So make sure you do that in your prayer groups or when you meet with other Christian brothers and sisters in your own prayer time. So practice patience, think thankfulness. Lastly, grasp the greatness and glory of God. Grasp the greatness and goodness of God. I'll change it. Grasp the greatness and goodness of God. And what I mean by that is remind yourself that God's in charge of everything, that nothing falls outside his control, 
that he's working for good for all that love him and trust him. Now that doesn't mean not acting, doesn't mean still trying to do things, but bear in mind that wonderful truth that overarches everything and undergirds everything. It doesn't mean we will always understand why we don't have what we want or why I'm going through this, or, but it means we can trust that it's not outside God's will, his purposes, and he's still working for good ultimately. And the scriptures are full of things where we see the evil of this world and God still brings good from it. And we don't know why he's doing what. I may not have the material blessings I want and think I deserve because actually it would destroy me as a Christian and I can't cope with it. Maybe that's the reason. My health may be declining precisely so that I can model a trust in the Lord that will have a profound effect on my family for the rest of their days. Uh, We may not know the reasons that God is doing certain things, but we can know that he is sovereign, he is good, and we can trust him completely. In Jesus, he's given us everything we need to be his, for us to be his children, and so we can be content knowing him, knowing that we're his for this life and the next. At one level, we should have no higher ambition than belonging to the Lord and being where he wants us, doing what he wants from us. Now, that will mean different things for each of us. Don't judge things based on the the world around you or the people around you. Base it on Jesus. Practice patience, think thankfulness, grasp the greatness and goodness of God. Be content in need and in plenty. Uh, I'm going to finish by quoting the words of uh, (coughs) Horatio Spafford. We uh, sing one of his songs here. We're not this morning, I don't think, uh, but a number of you here know the song. Uh, I've mentioned him before, but he lived in the 19th century and he was a Christian who suffered enormously. And I won't go through all of it, but it culminated in his wife and four daughters travelling to Europe by boat. Uh, There was an accident and it sank with all four of his daughters dying. Only his wife uh, survived. And as Spafford travelled to meet his wife, he wrote the words to the hymn that we still sing a couple of hundred years later and it's become a classic for people trusting in God. And when you know the backstory, it's even more because what's it called? It is well with my soul. This man had been through incredible things and yet he was still able to say, not with positive thinking, not with pretending it hadn't happened, but knowing the truth underneath, he was able to look at Jesus and still say, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement of the words of the Apostle Paul this morning, that he could be content in all situations. And we pray to live a life similarly, a life not just uh, focused on ourselves and the situation around us, which changes all the time, and where there will be ups and downs and spinning around, but a life focused on the unchanging Lord Jesus Christ and all that you've done for us in him. 
And we pray that knowing that, there may come a confidence and an assurance and a contentment with every aspect of our life that not only helps things for us, but is an enormous blessing and reassurance for those around us and a witness to to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.